Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by wealthy bad guys and poorly trained henchmen. I guess you're going for quantity, not quality. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Gaslight Cafe. Come down to the village and get your brew and your ha-has at the Gaslight Cafe. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. <laughs> I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is a movie podcast show where we analyze to death uh, movies from the perspective of filmmakers and producers and actors and writers and everything else. Yeah. You know, there's this old phrase that, you know, I think gets bastardized. It's jack of all trades, right? Yeah. But I've, I've heard, and I don't know where the root of this saying comes from or what, if, if this part is true, but I heard the full saying is supposed to be jack of all trades, master of none, better a jack of many than master of one. Huh. And I really like that. Like, I'm like, yeah, I would rather be skilled and well-rounded in a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, I guess if I could be like the best at one thing, that would be pretty cool. Uh, but my interests are varied. I don't mind having a lot of well-rounded aspects to my, I don't know, skill set. That's interesting. I don't know. I don't know why we're talking about this, but I, I like it because there's two schools of thought there, right? There's the, the Schwarzenegger thought school of thought where, uh, the worst plan you can have is plan B mm. because it takes away from plan A and anything that takes away from plan A diverts your attention. So plan A will never happen. Very interstellar, yeah. I guess. <laughs> but uh, but there is some truth to that where if you diversify, you can't focus on one specific thing. But there are a lot of caveats with that. One is you have to be 100% completely dedicated almost to a fault to be to become the very best at something, right? You have to pretty much sacrifice your entire life for most things, yeah. I would imagine, especially, you know, things like sports and stuff. You got to sacrifice your whole childhood to just only practice, you know? Yeah. And yeah. And I wonder where that cutoff really is. Um, just from the sense of Schwarzenegger was probably great at deadlifting as much as bench pressing and curling. It wasn't like he just had a big chest. Yeah. Uh, oh, right, right. You know, his body was his. So he diversified in a way. Yeah. In a, in a way, like I, and you know, as a filmmaker, I want to be well-rounded and understand so many parts and aspects of the, the process so that I can be That's as good as I can this. at okay. every, every, you know, level. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the better I can understand lighting, the easier it'll be to communicate with my DP or my gaffer or me, if it's me doing all those roles. hundred percent. But I think but that's, I guess, I guess, yeah, we're talking about two it, different things. It's splitting hairs. Same yeah. thing because it, yes, that's diversification within your field Yeah, and all of it will make you a better director, which is the whole goal is to be the best yeah. director. Right. So all of the diversification is within directing. Then you're still not diversifying. Right. It, it, like you're not being the, the you're not becoming the best car wash right. person. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> like the best fry cook. You know, you, you have no fry cook skills. Zero. Um, I'm working on it, though. I got an yeah. air fryer and it's well, there you come go. along. It's interesting because I've, I, I'm very much a jack of many trades. Yeah. And I like to throw myself into things and say that, that like, I'm, I'm like a hundred percent into it. But at the end of the day, I would, I put my toe into everything. Right. And it, enough to know that, no, I'm not going to be the best at that. Let's move on, you know? And then I throw myself into something else and like, oh, I'm not going to be the best at that. So now, you know, I'm 40 and I'm decent at a lot of things, but I'm not great at anything. And I kind of like mm. to, I like mention that to people sometimes. Cause like even you, sometimes you're like, man, you just do a lot of st stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but I just do things. Like I don't really, I'm not like I've directed. Mm. I'm not like you. Right. But you've had a lot more, like you've dedicated the last 10 years of your life to that. Right. Mm. Uh, I've only done it a little bit. I'm not that good at it, but you know, Music I dedicated probably most of my life to, but I'm not the best at that, but I can do it like all of these things, you know, I'm not the best runner, but I can run pretty well. Like all of these things, like I just kind of, yeah. You know. And I, and mean, I think a lot of people are like that. Sure. And there's always going to be things that we're 
more exceptional at than others. Yeah. Um, I'm certainly not going to beat you in a race <laughs> of any distance. <laughs> well, you never know. Short or long. Never know. Never True. Know. Right now you're wounded. You could tackle me. Yeah. If, he, if he bleeds, he can kill it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Nice. What are we doing today? Today we're going to take on 1917. Oh, nice, man. Yeah. It should be a pretty chill day. Um, <laughs> like it yeah it's it's a it's a weighty one if you haven't seen it yeah definitely cool so we have spoilers here we're going to talk about all of the the nitty-gritty about this film um and pretty much from the very beginning it's going to spoil a big thing so make sure to pause the episode go watch uh, 1917 and then come back join us definitely we're going to talk about a lot of things uh, we'll talk about cinematography uh the first and last frame creating coverage in a long take and so on and so forth as well as story and writing setups and payoffs that they have throughout the film and editing tips and tricks of hiding a cut because this is so built on uh, the seamlessness of it all uh, so we'll touch on that a little bit and it's hard to walk out of the film and not be thinking about that um, and other such stuff and things and stuff uh, okay, so a quick synopsis of the film. April 6, 1917. As a regiment assembles to wage war deep in enemy territory, two soldiers are assigned to race against time and deliver a message that will stop 1,600 men from walking straight into a deadly trap. Directed by Sam Mendes, written by Sam Mendes and Christy Wilson Cairns. Cinematography by Roger Deakins, the great, uh, featuring uh, Dean Charles Chapman as Lance Corporal Blake, George McKay as Lance Corporal Schofield, Colin Firth as General Aaron Moore, Mark Strong as Captain Smith, Benedict Cumberbatch as Colonel McKenzie, and Claire Dubirk as Laurie. Colonel McKenzie is in command of the second. He sent word yesterday morning he was going after the retreating Germans. He is convinced he has them on the run. But if he can break their lines now, he will turn the tide. Is wrong. Colonel McKenzie has not seen these aerials of the enemy's new line. Come around here, gentlemen. Three miles deep, field fortifications, defenses, artillery, the like of which we've never seen before. The second are due to attack the line shortly after dawn tomorrow. They have no idea what they're in for. And we can't warn them. As a parting gift, the enemy cut all our telephone lines. Your orders are to get to the second at Kwasi Wood, one mile southeast of the town of Lacoste. Deliver this to Colonel McKenzie. It is a direct order to call off tomorrow morning's attack. If you don't, it will be a massacre. We will lose two battalions, 1,600 men, your brother among them. You think you can get there in time? Yes, sir. A lot of stakes there. I can just listen to Colin Firth talk yeah, that's so all true. day. <laughs> He's just beautiful. He's imminently listenable. Um, yeah, right? He has a, a way of delivering terrible news in a very <laughs> digestible way. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of the film? Man, I mean, it's an interesting experience because on the one hand, I couldn't take my eyes away and I felt certainly emotionally invested, but I never felt gutted until like one of the last frames of the movie. Yeah. Even seeing bad news delivered and seeing someone die. Um, I was just like, man, that, that sucks. And I was thinking all the ramifications of these moments. Um, but I never felt gutted until you see what he's trying to go home to. You're like, Oh, I could freaking break down. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, yeah. What, what about you? Yeah, I, I totally agree the very last frame when he finally looks at the, when we see the pictures of his family that, cause he never mentions he's asked if he has children in the mm -hmm. movie and he never doesn't answer that question. So we see that he does have kids and he has a wife and he, it just says come back to us and that, Oh gosh. <laughs> and which I don't even know why it guts me because I feel like he's safe. He might not be, they might go into battle tomorrow, you know, like, Cumberbatch's uh, character says, Colonel McKenzie says, they'll give us an order next week and we'll go back in. Uh, so he might not make it, but just going through everything, following him the way that it's done through the whole process and then seeing that and seeing like his purpose, his why, I guess, I guess maybe discovering his why to try to survive is like maybe why it feels like that. But and I love that they held back on that so much because I think 
holding back and never making him emotional. That dude is stoic. Yeah. Almost the whole way through. He has a few lapses here and there, but even those are subtle. Uh-huh. And then whenever we finally see, you know, the, the picture and the message, I think that's that moment where we take ownership of his emotions and his feelings because he refuses to display it. Those things are there. And we just start empathizing on such a, you know, a deep level that it bubbles up. Yeah. I, I think that who's the cat, the guy that plays the captain of the regiment right after. Oh, Mark Strong, uh, Captain Smith, the one that gives him the ride. Yes. The, yeah. Yes. When he says, can I give you a piece of advice? It behooves you not to dwell on it. Yeah. I think that that is a massive theme that, um, that that character has to endure the entire time. But I think he's endured it for a long time since whatever battle he won that medal, he got that medal for. You know what I loved about that line that really stuck with me as I've watched uh, you know, the next five or 10 minutes was I feel like this movie does a lot of things that are the antithesis of what war movies usually do. Um, one of those being that they typically, you know, will say, oh, this is what that character would have done or this is what he would have wanted or uh, they try to say, you know, remember him uh, and and they also quickly forget. They move the F on immediately yeah. in movies, right? Yeah. Any action movie, any war movie, within minutes, you will realize it was almost like those characters were never here at all. Yeah. Whereas Schofield, Schofield lingers throughout the entire film. Yeah. Um, and not because of, you know, the amazing performance, which it was a great performance. Um, but I think because of that, because we're told to not, it's like, think... Don't think of a white elephant, right? It's one of those kind of moments. And then we see him ruminate for the next, you know, five or 10 minutes as he's sitting in a Jeep and hearing all this banter going on. Um, we're watching him only and seeing that, that he's doing the exact thing he knows he's not supposed to be doing right now yeah. uh, for his own good and for the good of, you know, his, his, you know, fellow soldiers, his brothers in arms. He's on a mission to save lives right now. And the last thing he needs to do is get caught up in his buddy that just died. Um, yeah. And it's such, it's such a great, it's, it's such great storytelling also to not have him just sit in that truck for the next five minutes. They have to get out and push the truck out of mud. He has to do that. And he, not only does he have to do that after his buddy just dies, but he has to get everybody else to help him. It's like, no, help me do that. Like, come on, you know, and you can see the frustration and the, how upset he really is. And he's just taking it out and pushing this truck as hard as he freaking can. And what a great way to take a reactive and inactive situation and have a moment for our protagonist to become proactive. Yes. Like suddenly yeah. now I'm back in charge. I got to make this happen. Yeah. Um, and I got to propel myself forward. You can see everyone else's lackadaisical. He probably could have used that as his out, you know, in yeah. a way. Um, but it never, obviously it never occurs to him and he's on a mission and yeah, he, he rallies those guys and kind of kicks them in the butt. And, uh, soon enough they're hearing his story and what the stakes are and they're like, yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. <sighs> It's yeah, it's incredible. That's <laughs> powerful, man. In so many ways. Uh, so, do you want to reveal the the thing that maybe people don't know about this movie if they haven't seen it? So, you should have already watched this movie, so you should know what we're going to talk about. But um, are we talking winners? Yes. Are we talking like this? Yes. Because when I saw this movie, I had no idea, and I'm so glad mm-hmm. that it was a one shot movie. Uh, it was I, for the first 15 minutes, I kept waiting for it to cut. Maybe 10 minutes. I kept waiting for it to cut. And finally, when they finally when they went over the wall. Oh, man. And it went over with them. I was like, oh, my God, this whole movie is going to be one shot. This is going to be exhausting. And it was, but in a good way. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would say this is the first one of its kind that didn't leave me feeling as taxed as others, like like a Birdman or a Gravity, uh, they tend to take it out of me more than this one did. Uh, this one, because I think we spend so much time in close with characters that we care about and uh, the performances are very uh, withheld and a little bit subdued um, that I just didn't feel, I definitely feel it, like it, it takes it out of you a little bit, yeah. but yeah. Um, I didn't feel like burdened halfway through or I was like, God, I just want to look away or I want to do something else for a couple of minutes. I get that with Birdman, like within 20, 30 minutes, I'm like, I need to cut. I need to, I need to just look away yeah. for a minute. Yeah. Never get that here. Yeah. Well, like, I, 
so yeah, I don't, I don't want to compare with Birdband too much. Um, yeah. This one, there's there's dialogue when there needs to be, and there's not when there's not. Yeah. And I feel like some movies that are oneers rely so much on dialogue that it's dialogue is almost more exhausting than the action, right? Mm-hmm. So we have in this in 1917 when they go over the wall and they're in no man's land. That whole shot is really long. It's a really long process, them getting through the 200, 300 yards of no man's land. But you're not taxed by the end because you're just slowly following them. You're not having to follow dialogue. I'm not using my brain at all. I'm just like there with them. So maybe that's yeah. a reason. I think that's know. right. Like there's much less to keep track of overall. And yeah. now it's just kind of more of the emotional journey. It's a single singular mission yeah. of this, you know, and you know where they're going. But I also think that there's a lot of reprieve in it. And they do really amazing things to like tie in loops that they create. The milk scene with the baby is unreal, man. The first time I saw it and uh, and she said, I need milk. I was like, Oh my God, he had filled his canteen with milk. That's incredible. What are the odds? And maybe, just maybe, that baby could survive because of of this guy, right? And it just makes you love him that much more and want him to survive that much more. But and they do that multiple times in the film, like where they'll they'll tie something back to something that happened earlier or whatever. So it's a pretty efficient film, yeah. Uh, all all told, very well said. Yes, it's very efficient. Yes. You know, and it's surprising just because you would think there would be so much wastefulness, just because you're yeah. you're, you're filling up a lot of time. That's just we're walking. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Like, how but, do you do that? And it's not like boring or like yeah, yeah. And how to have those loops, um, like you're talking about? Like, how do you? keep creating these setups and payoffs without us kind of expecting these to be setups and payoffs. Um, and that's always the magic of a setup and a payoff is making it seem like it came out from out of nowhere. Yeah. Like, Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Like, so when they get to the first house, the house where the plane crashes mm-hmm. at first, I'm expecting something to happen. Like somebody's in that house. Somebody's going to be shooting at them. Nobody shoots at them. Nobody's there. Okay. And then a plane crash is totally random. Right. And then they save the guy totally random. But uh, but I told, I get it because they're yeah. the type. They seem the type. But then uh, Blake dies and gets stabbed. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. All I didn't expect any of that to happen. None of it. Is it Blake? Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. I, That's I, Corporal I, Blake. I yeah. flipped him a little earlier. Yeah, so I'll, Schofield when I meant Blake. Okay. Um, so, But then when he gets to the, the bridge... That's that's crap. That's like broken. And he's going over the bridge and gets shot out. That scared the crap out of me. I, t- I did not expect it in that moment. I expected it maybe later, but not like right there yeah. already. Like they hadn't they barely even driven away. You know, they might have even heard the shots. You know, they weren't that far away. I don't know. And you just never really knew what was going to happen at any point. Um, when he's standing there looking at the flames of the, the building on fire and then you see the guy in the distance, you're like, what is, who is, what is that? And he's walking towards him and then he starts running and shoot like, oh my gosh, what is going, what's going on? And then he finds the girl. It's like this so unexpected, all of the stuff. And I think that, and it's, it's really good. They use some of the walking for, uh, exposition, mm-hmm. you know, like stories and stuff. And we get to learn a little bit about Schofield and that he, you know, got him like, we learned that he got a medal at the very beginning when they're walking down the bunker at the, when we first meet them. Uh, but later on, we learned that he doesn't like the metal and that he he traded it for wine and and all that stuff. So we're learning a lot about them as characters and we're using these this, these walks as exposition, but they're not super long, which is incredible also because the scenery completely changes. I don't I don't know if they built all of these places <laughs> or if they happen to just find this stuff. Um, but going like when they first come out of the tunnel. And they're in the, the, I guess, you know, like, um, the, the sea of, of shells of Mm -hmm. discarded, you know, like, like cannon shells. It's just nothing but cliche, like white stone. And then they're, they're walking and talking about, you know, these rats and stuff like that. And then they walk into this forest and then out of the forest and it's this lush pasture. It's like, where did that come from? Oh my gosh. And obviously it's, you know, a different scene, Mm. you know, they did a cut somewhere. 
Yeah, but it's hard to spot those sometimes in this. Super hard. It's, I mean, they yeah. obviously go out of the way to, to keep that seamlessness going. Yeah. Through a lot of effort, they made it look effortless. <laughs> yes, exactly. So speaking of, why don't you talk about cinematography a little bit? Yeah. So I think the first thing um, and the last thing to, to discuss in this movie is the first frame, last frame, right? He's sleeping against a tree in a field. Um, and it's almost peaceful and idyllic. Um, if not for war, <laughs> like that's kind of the, the thing. And, uh, the fact, uh, we end as we began kind of suggests that it's all cyclical today is like tomorrow. Um, it never ends. One of the things cinematography wise that I really like is this smooth transition early on whenever we're, we're waking up and, you know, now we're on our way to get our orders. We're mostly tracking from behind and there's this really smooth transition when, where we go from tracking from behind to leading them, we move from behind them to in front of them. And we do it by using this crowd of men that separates us and lets us move ahead of them. Like the soldiers, our guys go to the right and we, the camera crew, go to the left. And then when we come back together, we're now looking at their faces instead of the back of their heads. And so we we switch coverage just by using a little clever blocking, like, oh, we're going to use this, uh, all these extras, these background actors, uh, to create a separation between us. Now we can speed up just enough that we can get ahead of them and completely change the coverage without ever really disrupting the frame. And they constantly use blocking to vary their coverage for uh, a lot of things, visual interest, um, but the coverage, you know, really does range from wides and mediums to close-ups, and they all have to be achieved through blocking and choreography since there are almost no hard cuts. But beyond visual interest, it's also to insert motivations and other kind of psychological elements into the story. So if you consider how it felt when we followed them, we were kind of inundated with the trench. We felt swallowed up and somewhat like we're fighting through the mass of soldiers as we're kind of pressing through and navigating. Everything's kind of coming at you. Uh, whereas whenever we're leading them, our characters feel more powerful, right? They're not swimming upstream as much anymore. Uh, so they feel more powerful, like they're charging us a more confident position. And so all these things, you know, are telling whenever you're thinking about the visual elements that they're trying to cover and how it's going to impact the scene. Um, these are, you know, both elements of war and whether they're walking from the camera into oncoming traffic or walking towards us, it can emotionally shift the scene on a very subtle level. And you can see that Deacons was clearly in tune with all of these moments. Um, and it is subtle, but it's there. I guarantee you're feeling these things, even if you're not able to, you know, put your finger on it. And so pacing becomes the key way to create the, to create the, uh, the coverage. And if they walk slow, if our, our actors walk slow, that can help us move ahead. And if we're tight or wide, uh, we can also exaggerate how slow it feels. Um, because if, you know, they're, we're tracking next to them, and they're walking slow and we're really wide. It feels very, very slow. It doesn't feel like we're, we're creeping along. Whereas if that was a tighter shot, uh, because it's tighter, all the background behind them moves a lot faster um, comparatively. The parallax is just a lot uh, faster. And so that coverage can really determine how we're also kind of experiencing that moment. And so whenever you notice, I think, if I remember correctly, when we're tracking through no man's land, like that's a pretty wide shot and we're kind of creeping along. And that's a great time to make time kind of slow down because we're, we're worried about their safety. And I don't know about you, but I was thinking about unexploded ordnance or maybe a plane coming overhead or totally obviously getting picked yeah. off by a sniper. Like those are all things. And the slower they go, the, the greater that tension creates, especially since all the buildup beforehand was that's not abandoned. Um, uh, but we'll get to that in a minute. And so generally, uh, this film felt like a tour through war, specifically World War One, of course, uh, with its own idiosyncrasies. But we can see the trenches and the various roles in war, um, the odd expertise of the front line, right? Um, the mm -hmm. dead, not just dead people, but there's like dead animals at times. Yeah. Um, like there's that dog in front of the house that's just kind of there. We don't, it's not a close up or anything. You just kind of pan over it. Um, and then one of the soldiers mentions it in the in the truck as they're driving off. Oh, does he mention the Is dog? Is that a dead dog? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Like stuff like that. Yeah. When I was talking about closing loops, like, yeah. there's no need to say that, but... It's just to, to notice like, no, we knew what was in the frame and not just that, but like 
everybody notices a dead dog. Yeah, you know? so true. Uh, and they even talk about like the cows and yeah. uh, the, Why kill the, cows? the tactics of it. Because yeah. we'll yet, eat them. And yet the brutality of it, mm-hmm. like they're both acknowledging both things. And that's yeah. that's really cool um, and important. So, yeah, this feels like a tour through war because uh, how slow it moves. You don't usually move this slow through war movies. It's usually yeah. much, much faster and much heavier in the cuts and edits uh, to kind of emphasize the chaos of it all. But here you're kind of inundated with the slowness of it all. When you think how long this war lasted, uh, years. This wasn't like a six-month war. Um, it, it took a couple years at least. I don't really know the time frame, um, <laughs> but I uh, know it wasn't overnight. And yeah. so, you know, getting to feel that kind of soldier's pace of this is life and really embed us in it uh it's it's really impactful and um the long tracking shots gave way to a far more immersive tour than perhaps we've ever experienced i think moving a little bit forward whenever he was riding in the back of that truck my mind for whatever reason i was just really drawn to this cut in the in the canvas of the the truck there's like this flap that's open behind him i don't think it's supposed to be i don't think or maybe it is maybe it was it's a flap that wasn't tied down or it was a cut open i don't know but it was just kind of flapping there and i just thought it was interesting behind skillfield yeah okay um because it looks like my first thought was oh that's an extra lighting opportunity which maybe i, I guess you could you know add a little bit of additional backlining or something through that. But I think it was actually more for visual interest, maybe. It lets us see a little bit more of the background than just the road and sky that we can kind of see out of the main entryway, the big opening in the back. And so because we're so settled on one thing for so long in such a very, I don't, I don't know what to call it, but plain drab point of view, I think just having that little bit of movement right there, that flap, uncovering a little green a little background stuff just adds a little bit of a distraction to kind of keep us tuned into the scene mm-hmm. whereas mm-hmm. if that hadn't been there maybe it's just we tune out just a little bit more we're not as in sync with it but i think it's one of those things where sometimes when i'm writing i'll put on opera or classical music just to have a little bit of something in the air so that i can focus on what i'm trying to do yeah sometimes dead silence is an enemy for me mm, <laughs> and I'm probably a lot of people. Yeah. But yeah, another interesting thing that's really more of a set design thing um, was whenever he's moving through that raised city with the, uh, there's this poster on the, the wall that's a uh, Cirque de Lewis and it's just a poster of a circus set, you know, comes through town mm-hmm. and it's all degraded and this town has completely, you know, been, burned to a crisp and chilled and there's hardly anything left of it but i love it i think it's just this really subtle light punch in the stomach that uh it's a reminder of happiness that used to be in this mm-hmm. city that's just rubble now yeah um and any of those little reminders that there was a way of life here before all this yeah this isn't just you know ancient rome this used to be something and that's those recently. kinds of things are like the difference between you know a, a an actual like film and just like a you know a little film that maybe you know you might make in an afternoon yeah. it's like everything in the frame is planned every stone every color every movement uh, all of it is all planned and as as off the cuff as some things might seem or might actually turn out to be everything at one point was planned to look a specific way you know in the in that one of that that final running scene where he runs into that guy it, we could talk about this but there's a scene at the end where he's running along the bunker and he actually runs into somebody and falls over that was not planned that just happened to happen and it was a uh, you knew that right that that just accidentally happened it accidentally happened i did not know that oh really That's I, I thought we amazing. talked about that yeah it was an accident and if you if you notice the car keeps going the camera keeps going so he gets up and he runs even harder to catch up and then he trips again and hits somebody else again so like you know you can't plan for everything and sometimes good things do happen and that wasn't wasn't planned but and it might and it felt natural but trust me Every single other thing in this movie yeah. was planned. There's such a thing as happy accidents for sure. For sure, yeah. Uh, because that moment that you're talking about, I mean, it's great because we get ahead of his run. We don't slow down even when he falls. And so he, like you just said, he has to catch up. And it just kind of underscores the importance because he's losing lives right now. Every one of those people that gets by him is someone that's going to die. Yeah. And if he doesn't 
complete his mission. He needs to hurry. Um, he needs to complete the mission in order to save lives. And uh, the fact that we can feel that emotional gap as uh, we were leaving him time is of the essence it gets so much more emphasized yeah. um, because it goes back to the old hitchcock rules something that's bigger in frame is more important so the more he shrinks in the frame the more we can feel him slipping away yeah and it's beautiful beautiful yeah. uh, accident but it, what what i also loved about the scene while we're talking about it is that it didn't lose its punch despite its overuse in all the trailers <laughs> yeah very very good point. You know, yeah. like it's one of those easy things that uh you get to and you've seen it you know 500 times already but and so you're like oh, okay yeah there's here's that scene finally um but here because now we know the stakes and the urgency and we're seeing men running to their death as opposed to oh this is just a war scene you know in the preview now this is men literally going off to die um with a pretty high level of certainty uh it kept attention all raised really really well um and is yeah it levels you, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, as far as uh, going back to the, the, the city, I love the, the the fire that's raging in the center with the, the statue in the, in the middle of the town. There's this great, beautiful shot where he just walks into it and we're, we see his silhouette against the, the orange glowing, raging fire uh, that's going on. And the ground all looks gorgeous and looks like it's just kind of covered in slick oil or something. But... This is one of, I don't know, one of the tricks of the trade, I guess. A wet ground. This is like yeah. the cinematographer's best friend. Uh-huh. Like you don't know how much water gets spent on productions. <laughs> yeah. Just wetting the ground for that specific kind of stuff. Yeah. Like if you watch a car commercial. Oh, yes. They just wet the ground. There's literally trucks that are built for this purpose of spraying water on the ground, which, you know, if you're out in la or something you're like there's a water rolling effect people yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's 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 amazing like all the reflections uh the colors start to smear together even the horizon starts to blend uh in with each with itself like uh, the sky and the the ground all kind of just start to fade in especially at night even in day though depending on your angle and what kind of puddle you're able to create but yeah if you want amazing pics of your city guess what as soon as the rain stops, go out in the middle of the night and take pics of downtown. Yeah. Like everything's going to look absolutely insanely beautiful. And if you can afford it, do it yourself for your yeah. productions. <laughs> like, you will never go wrong when yeah. the ground down. Yeah. Um, but just after that scene, we have the, that other amazing scene where uh, he runs into that soldier. Mm-hmm. And he, you can see he doesn't want to kill him. That's kind of the the, the other heart wrenching part about this film is going back to what you know we were saying earlier about uh, he got killed by that guy he tried to save. These guys don't want to kill anybody. Um, they're right. that's just not where their heart is. They obviously want to go home. They'll do what they have to, but uh, their first instinct isn't to just flat out kill people. And so we see that there's this great shot where he's wrestling in the foreground with one soldier. Why that? I don't know if he's drunk or sick or what this guy's doing in the background, but his other soldier buddies in the back uh, and we see him. And what I like about this shot so much, and it's obvious and it's right there on his face, is that our guys are wrestling in a silhouette. They are completely black. We can't see any other details, whereas the guy in the background is pretty well lit. We see him and that's it makes sense, right, because it's happening out of sight of the other soldier. And so it makes sense for our guys to be blacked out. It also means, though, that you have to be careful with uh, the background lighting in order to create the silhouette because you need that contrast to see their outlines and still keep a good sense of who's winning and what's happening in that moment. And so that's really well executed and obviously very well planned ahead of time because that's not something you just kind of pick up on the fly. Yeah. yeah. It's very well planned. All their compositions. I mean, that's Deacons to a T, I guess, but it's all there and it's all very immaculately constructed. And it's beautiful that, um, or it's just brilliant that, you know, he, ha- he kills the guy that he has to kill, but he doesn't kill the other guy. He just bursts past him and then just runs. And so we get straight into more action instead of like him killing the next guy and then like pausing, finding a moment to creep more. He's already done the creeping. Now he's got, we got to get to the next place like ASAP. It's already going to be morning soon, which we found out from the girl. And so he's got, we got to get to the next place. So he's got to be running. So it's just like, just start it there. Let's not, you know, mess around anymore. 
uh, just run past this guy, push him out of the way and then keep going. He's drunk. He's not going to get to his gun or anything. So, you, you know, just go. It, yeah. The gas stays it's right on the floor. It's yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um, diving into writing and story. Yeah. Um, I love the, uh, the conversations and directions seem like they're mostly built to create tension. Like in the very beginning is no lands man. Uh, it's no man's land occupied by the Germans. We're told that it isn't, but our guys say it is. And it's great that, you know, it's one of those things. If you step back and you're like, you would roll your eyes where uh, a corporal is telling a general uh, what the lay of the land is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That guy spends more time thinking about the lay of the land than anybody else out there. Despite what, you you know, the soldiers on the ground probably think. Um, And so, but it's important just to inform the audience of what, of what the lay of the ground is and for him to establish that, Hey, we can't go through no man's land because it's occupied. And he's like, no, it's not. They've abandoned. And so they're setting up the stakes of the film in and of itself, but then they move out of that conversation and then get into these other ones where people are telling them like, dude, you're going to get killed up there. Uh, but before you die, do you mind throwing back our flares? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like everyone is setting up all this tension and all these conversations are, are, doing that even as they're about to cross uh, the guy says uh, watch out for the craters they're deeper than you think and if you fall in you won't get out um, and so now we have this tension that's created by are they going to fall into one of these craters oh they're they're in one are they going to be able to get out okay and so they're just using all these little layers to create tension and tension and anxiety to some extent for sure but also attention to make us you know stay in tune with what's happening because they're creating stakes in our minds that we're now we're, we're there to look out for um, and the more we're not cutting it the more important it is to give us a reason to to stay tuned in and similarly halfway through whenever they meet captain smith played by mark strong he gives them that that other great line make sure there are witnesses when you tell them oh yeah some men just want the fight. Yeah. And so now we're halfway through the, the mission. And we're like, is it all for not? Yeah. Is this guy dying? Is this happening? Is all of this going to be just for some guy's ego, some war hungry general captain, colonel, whoever's at the other end, Colonel McKenzie. And so in including that scene, whenever you get there, right, uh, he's got a fight to get there. And so we've created all this tension just through conversations, which is, you know, not exactly abnormal. Uh, but here it's certainly heightened and more important, I think, because there's nowhere else to go. <laughs> and it's done. In, it's done like piece by piece. Yeah. It's not like a long drawn out conversation. It's this guy says this, this guy says this, this guy. And it's it all adds up little by little. And absolutely. The yeah. The other thing writing wise that they do completely differently than, you know, 90% of war films or action movies is the death scene whenever he's dying and he, he looks up at him and he asks, am I dying? Mm-hmm. And he oh, chews on God. it and he's like, yes, yes, I think so. Like you don't usually get that. You always get the, no. you're going to be fine. You're going to be make fine. It. Yeah, yeah. And, and so <laughs> We now have to see how someone confronts their own death. Yeah. And that's gripping and that's new and fresh and utterly heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. That's. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Amazing. And the, and the way that death scenes can be either really good or really terrible. I guess they can be in between too, but, but, uh, I think they're really hard to do realistically. Yeah. Not that I know you know, all the details. Um, but it just requires a very good actor. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going to put all of that on Dean Charles Chapman. Agreed. All of it. I mean, you can have the best cinematographer, best director, but if the actor can't pull it off, then you're toast. And that guy, I mean, just rips your heart out. And I have to imagine the color grade on this must have been insane. Oh, gosh, yeah. Because his color starts flushing Just, out. Yes, yes. And you think they did that in, in, in color? Yeah. They had to. Had right? to. And that's a lot of tracking and motion tracking and yeah. um, attention to detail on a scale that you just don't want to be involved in. <laughs> yeah. It, it was amazing to watching that. I noticed that both times. Like, yeah. God, he's getting paler and paler. And it just adds because... Mm-hmm. Unless you know what you're looking at, like you just buy into the story because the emotional performance is so good that you're not really thinking about that. 
and you're watching it happen and you're feeling this guy slip away and it doesn't happen in 60 seconds. Yeah. It's agonizing and it takes a while and there's fighting and like by the end you're like, yeah, that, that guy's gone. And then he tells, uh, Schofield tells his brother at the end that it was quick and just lies to him because why, yeah. you know, like why, why tell him that it took a good two minutes to three minutes to happen. It doesn't help anything. But to tell his brother also at the end that he saved his life, you know, like I did, I guess I didn't, I didn't the first time, cause I've seen it twice. The first time I saw it, I didn't expect to hear that. Yeah. You know, I expected, even if he turned around to say he was a good man, you know, um, that's understandable, but that's nothing his brother didn't know, but to give his brother a little, little bit of, this is how good he was. You know, I wouldn't be here. These men, these men would be dead if it weren't for your brother. And it's so true because even though I'd seen it before, I forgot. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, this is how it ends. This feels wrong. Yeah. Um, but what do you do? It's war. And then he delivers those extra lines and you're just yeah. like, oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Like, mm. So setups, payoffs. I love the uh, the milk setup uh, and payoff that you were talking about early. I love it happens early enough that we forget about it and feel the surprise and joy that she feels in that moment. You're like... That's what are the odds of this? How does that, how does that happen? The magic of cinema. I also love that uh, initially seeing the milk, I assumed it was going to be curdled or like have a dead rat in it. I kept waiting for the punch because this is all it felt like the movie was going to give us. (laughs) But then whenever it was nothing, I was I just kind of, I forgot about it. I was like, oh, okay. He's got milk. He's got calories. I feel like, okay, that's a really good point. I feel like there's. It's so easy for a movie to just make everything difficult for the character, right? Especially a movie like this where this guy's got to go through so many trials and tribulations to get to his goal. It's got to be really hard, something where 90% of people would never be able to do it. And yet he does it because he's our hero. So it's really easy to just to throw problem after problem after problem at him. And that's kind of exhausting. You want those moments of, of joy that they found milk, you know? Or joy that he's able to give it to a baby. Oh my God. Or joy that, that he finds the regimen that he was looking for. And uh, joy of being able to hear that song that that guy sings. You know, like these little moments. Joy of when after his friend dies that Colonel Smith or Captain Smith comes and gives him a ride. Like all of these little things just like keep you going and it never feels out of place never feels like oh he just caught an unbelievable break it was like no this is this is war there are people hiding in in cellars random stuff is gonna happen good or bad and there are soldiers on the move yeah and these things yeah all these things Mm -hmm. happen and so yeah never felt uneven right which is astonishing it's yeah right it just (laughs) it just was paced really well in that regard yeah um, the other setup payoff that I really enjoyed was the the flowers. Like, yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. It was just a simple conversation at the beginning that added a lot of depth and beauty to Blake. Uh-huh. Right? Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I got these guys twisted in my head because he kept calling for Lieutenant Blake. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's a very simple conversation just added so much depth and beauty and you just kind of appreciate the moment like oh mm-hmm. this it, get, it just adds exposition to this guy um that, totally that you wouldn't otherwise have but yet it wasn't a wasteful conversation right and the river as he's floating uh, we're suddenly surrounded in the cherry flowers again and yeah. we're reminded of our friend his brother and the mission it's time to get back to work like it was yeah. such a great way to remind us of our loss and our goal and for the character to have those realizations too and we just kind of come together with him again um, after being knocked out over a waterfall and coming to and almost drowning like all yeah. of it and for me that's the roughest scene it's watching him climb over those oh my bloated God, yeah. dead bodies and they give him a moment to cry yeah they give him a moment which is it just humanizes him just for a 
just for a second, you know, just humanizes him so well, even though he doesn't need to be humanized really anymore. No, uh, but he's not a know. machine. Yeah. Right. You know, sometimes I think we get these ideas of soldiers in our heads, uh, especially because most of the ones that come back don't want to talk about, um, mm-hmm. what they've experienced. And so we do see a little bit of, um, of, you know, the stoic man of steel kind of exterior and giving him that moment of, uh, breakdown in the middle of his mission, uh, was great. Like it, definitely humanized him and reminded us that, yeah, this guy's, he's just trying to make it right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it also begs the, this question because he completes it, right? He gets to the end and what's it all for? Mm-hmm. That was the kind of the, the real gut punch of the conversation with Colonel McKenzie, who finally listens to him and reads the letter. Um, and he just, you just feel the futility of war and, if on a, on a grand scheme, you know, it's trap, everyone will die. And I think that's perhaps a statement on war itself in this movie. This guy is trying to run and prevent a slaughter. And, and, you know, certainly in my point of view in in most wars, that's about the, the sum of it all. It's really well summarized by Colonel McKenzie. You know, there's only one way this war ends last man standing. And that's, shocking and true um and it's frustrating how it all comes about you know and i don't know world war one well enough to remember the stakes but i I think someone got shot because they took a wrong turn and one country got pissed off and maybe was annexed by another country and another country didn't like that because they were it wasn't like world war two where it was like oh there's a there's a a clear bad guy here yeah it was a little little more murky um i think uh i'm sure someone like joe house is a huge history buff especially i think he really really loves world war one which is one of those unsung and untold stories which is another great thing about this movie is we're going back into an era that isn't very as well covered as world war two Mm -hmm. um but yeah and whenever we finally get to that final moment when he sees you know the the kids and his wife and his only real goal you know is is to get back home is to get back to them yeah that's it reminds us what the real goal or uh, distraction of war is and which is love and our families and everything that everything else that we want to do with life to some extent and so, yeah, and once again, it kind of leads back into his nap on the tree and starting the cycle all over again. But jumping into the editing real quick, this will be super fast. Clear edits do actually happen in this film. They're few and far between. By few, I think there's like two. <laughs> <laughs> not, not counting like the opening frame and last frame. But the explosion that happens in the uh, the bunker um, with the rap that yeah. tra- uh, triggers the, the explosion uh we jump angles uh it's very quick and i and we also cut whenever blake uh schofield <laughs> gets knocked out we cut yes. to black yes um and that's a hard cut and i think those are intentional because the cuts seem to be centered around his consciousness right when he wakes up at the beginning of the movie we cut in and whenever he goes back to sleep we cut out Mm. And whenever he experiences a sh- uh, concussion in the uh, the mines or the bunkers, you know, we, we jump again. And whenever he gets knocked out, we jump again to yeah. blackness. Yeah. And so we're constantly experiencing his consciousness throughout the film. And that holds true to that, uh, even though it's still super subtle, even in those instances. But there is a art to hiding an edit because there are other less clear edits that happen throughout the film. And... The, the question is when, like, we don't really know for sure unless there's a video out there already. But anytime I'll talk about the moments that I think are good opportunities, anytime the camera gets covered in a close up, that's a good place to hide a cut. Like, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure the opening section is all there through uh, them going and getting their first briefing. And then as they exit, uh, I think is whenever we have our first uh, hidden cut because there's this very full hidden frame uh, that happens as we're exiting and walking back outside. I think they probably had to cut there. If not, it's a certainly a good opportunity to. And then uh, there's other times whenever we kind of circle around the character, like when we meet the woman in the cellar, we do a slow rotation around Schofield 
And that's a great place to hide a cut too. Or whenever he's walking by the trees in the forest, there's probably a good opportunity to, to hide and edit there too, um, using the tree as kind of a mask or a marker. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities. There's, I wouldn't be surprised if there's, you know, 20 edits in the scene or in this movie that helps them pick the best moments. But I think there's probably off also a, uh, another type of cut that's called a morph cut. And that's where you actually aren't hard cutting away. Instead, you're, uh, you're, you're kind of blending two edits together. So like if you have someone that's standing there looking at the camera and they're relatively still, you could splice that in two different takes in that same moment just by kind of blending that those two takes together so that you never actually cut away from the guy but you splice in two edits on top of him um, just by if you will a a fade or dissolve it's not actually what's happening there Uh, but that's the general idea is you're fading two two edits together and i think they do that uh, a number of times actually uh, from what i could tell and editors actually do this a lot uh, in normal films, like a really talented editor uh, can can morph cut, you know, a, a scene so that you can get the best takes, even though you're not cutting away. This That's happens crazy. far more than y'all probably realize. Wow. And some tools are better than others. Like uh, the one in Premiere is not very great. Uh, but I think the one that they use in, oh my God, why is this blanking? Not Final Cut. You Ragtag. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I hate Final Cut. I just do. Um, but the uh, iMovie, the the Avid, um, Avid okay. uh, has some really killer tools. But if I were to guess, at least once, I it seemed, and this is just me, whatever, talking out of my neck. Um, but it seemed like there was a morph cut after the river scene, whenever he's kneeling down, catching his breath, and right before we start hearing the song, um, there's this weird little jump that happens that felt uh, off and it felt off to me both times I watched it. At what point? Uh, It's whenever he's kneeling, kind of crying and catching his breath. And it's right at the river. After the river. And it's right at the tail end of it, right before he goes into standing and walking towards the music. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, it's one of those things that you're not supposed to notice. Obviously, none of these cuts are you supposed to notice. Yeah. And that's the point um, is to draw you into the story. The whole point of all of this is to pull you into the story and the emotional elements that are that are happening. Uh, These aren't, you know, supposed to be tools that call attention to themselves if done Mm -hmm. right. Um, Sometimes they do. Sometimes people get a little flashy. But more often than not, this the the point of it should be to pull you deeper into the story um, in a number of different ways, depending on the story. But yeah, I think they probably use some morph cuts. There's and it's so amazing that they did the the whole uh, single shot thing, because so many times especially before when I was kind of getting used to the fact that it was going to be a single shot, I was expecting like when they look through the periscope at no man's land in every other movie, you would cut to the view of the periscope to see no man's land as, as, uh, they're looking through it when he cuts his hand on the barbed wire in every other movie, they would show close up of the cut in his hand after he cuts it as he's looking at it, like, ah, you know, whatever, you know, when he puts his hand in the, in the dead German and how like, much like empathy does that get out of us to see him like really gash his hand open and make nothing of it and then be forced. It wasn't like he did it, you know, by his own volition. It was because his buddy reacted and he had to catch his balance by stuffing his wound into the guts of a dead soldier. Yeah. Like if we don't all collectively just cringe at that empathetically which connects us to the character it's there's a use to that dude it's crazy yeah it's unbelievable (laughs) but yeah that's all i got uh so what would you give this movie oh man um that's really tough for me like objectively this is a 10 but Mm -hmm. like for my own personal taste i would say this is like an eight uh, just from the standpoint that I, I don't really want to watch it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's Interesting. My, that's my only real ding on it, if you will. Uh, I just have a really hard time with long, long take films. Uh, they, they exhaust me, even though this is on the lesser end of it. I would probably watch this again f- several more times before I watch some other winners. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I would say an eight creeping towards a nine personally. 
objectively 10. <laughs> okay. Uh, I have to say a 10, man, I wish I could say 11. I could watch it 10 more times uh -huh. to me. And I mentioned this after we watched it last night. I think it's a perfect film. I, yeah. uh, there's, and I don't say that lightly. I have other films that I are my go-to films that I, you know, just love and are my favorite of all time. I wouldn't say it's my favorite of all time, but I would say it is probably the most perfect film that I've seen in a very long time, which is, it's kind of strange. I can compartmentalize a perfect film from my favorite film, Yeah, you know, or the film that I get the most emotion from or whatever. And usually those would be kind of similar. <laughs> yeah. Um, in this case, I just, I, I feel like the, the production of it, the, the audacity of making it, the, the acting, the writing, the, the directing, the cinematography, the lighting, uh, I can see the thousands of people and, and tens of thousands of hours in this film. And I can choose to not see them if I don't want to. And that to me is a perfect film. It's like, if I want to dissect it, I could for a year and probably not dent the surface. Yeah. But if I don't want to, I can just enjoy it as a masterpiece of what it is. And it just is like un unreal. Uh, yeah. 10 across the board for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Very cool. Uh, yeah. What are you going to recommend this week? Oh, uh, so yeah, this week I'm going to recommend The Pianist, another, nice. another war film. Uh, this one I believe is set in World War II. Yeah. I think, um, it's just an, another amazingly well-written, well-directed, well-filmed, uh, well-acted movie that will just gut you yeah. from the beginning to the end. It put Adrian Brody on the map. It absolutely did. I mean, you know, he was... He had done some good things before that, but like it just put him at a whole nother level and I miss him. I want him back. Yeah, like no I kidding. haven't seen Where anything he? that he's done recently. I don't, I have no That's idea. A great point. Yeah. Yeah. What the hell, Adrian? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. I, I was super torn. Like I had several projects that just looking through George McKay's, uh, filmography i was like this guy's been in so many great projects uh he's in atonement really? uh well i don't know if he's in atonement uh but he's in 11 he's in captain fantastic he's in a number of other ones that i didn't write down and so i kind of looked through his catalog and i also wanted to recommend atonement uh but i think i'm gonna go with captain fantastic which he's in and it's this really great fantastic if you will uh movie with a pretty stellar cast and suddenly uh, Vigo Mortensen I think is oh, okay. uh, your headliner yeah. and it's about a, uh, a dad who wants to raise his kids off the uh, off the grid and he teaches them he homeschools them and he teaches them survival skills um, and it's about the wrestling of that kind of ideology and you know the modern day age like what does it mean and yeah it's wow. a really excellent film and george mckay is fantastic for sure um but everyone in the, that it's a surprising it's a shocker like i don't know how more people haven't heard or seen this movie for sure okay yeah I'll, yeah i'll watch it it might be streaming on hulu i'll check and uh, post it in notes okay great very cool. And then you'll give me your Hulu login? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I had somebody else's and now I don't have it anymore. So gone. Anyway, don't do that, by the way. Yeah, don't, listening, do that. don't do that. No sharing. Yeah, exactly. Um, this week we have a short spotlight. It's actually a music video by Jay Tong. Um, I'll link it in the show notes. What's interesting about it is, for one, it's a beautiful film, but one of the, uh, the dings I would put on it is at the beginning, uh, this is kind of the opposite of everything we've been talking about, is there's these weird glitchy effects and uh, there's this... It's, it's uneven. It doesn't belong in the music video because the, the music video itself is uh, beautifully lit and uh, maybe it stretches a little bit too thin, the, the kind of content that it's creating. But uh, it's still gorgeous, like the set design, the, the actors in there. Um, it's very beautiful. Um, but yet the uh, the tone of the first whatever, five seconds or so, uh, 10 seconds is just it doesn't fit. It's like a puzzle piece where you're putting together a forest and, uh, you know, three of the puzzle pieces are sharks and you're just like, wait, what are we doing here? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And so I think it's just one of those things that it caught my attention. The, uh, the contrast of don't do 
in it's not just this music video but so many people use these kind of copy paste effects because they're cool but they use them out of context or in a way that doesn't add to your project uh, it's just something that is, oh, here's, you know, glitch effects or here's this whatever thing that looks cool or sounds cool. Like, be specific, create your thing because this is the thing you're trying to create and, you know, play it to the bone. Uh, don't just kind of copy pasta a bunch of things that are out there for the sake of trying to elevate your project to someone else's taste or to whatever this uh, kind of popular way of doing things. Um, mm. Yeah, I get... I get exhausted generally by whenever I'm on Reddit a lot and people post a lot of their projects and I can usually tell within a few seconds if they're actually putting their thought into this or they're just trying to impress others. Like don't try to impress others and try to impress yourself with your vision and that's good. Play it true, man. That's yeah. Yeah. Right. That's a great piece of advice. <laughs> impress yourself. Yeah. And so Love it. crap, we didn't pick next week's movie. So I wanted to do Little Women, but it's not playing anymore. I, I it's not? No, I don't think so. I'll double check real quick. But I think it left like just this past week, which is really annoying. <gasps> no, it's still playing. Barely. Oh, that's going to drive me crazy. Nice. Okay. We're doing Little Women next week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I had to double check. It wasn't playing. Let's do it. Um, cool. So nice. I'm really excited about that yeah, one. Yeah, I know. It's going to be um, great. And so, yeah, stay tuned for next week when we cover Little Women's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the new one by yeah. Greta Gerwig. Yes. God, that was going to drive me crazy. Yeah. So don't forget to subscribe, view us on iTunes. If you want us to cover a movie or something, or if there's a topic you want us to cover, uh, don't be afraid to reach out um, and leave us a note. If you want to talk about this episode specifically, you can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash 1917. Uh, well said. Thanks. And uh, the quote of the day that we'll leave you with is from J.R.R. Tolkien. The enemy, his sense of duty was no less than yours, I deem. You wonder what his name is, where he came from, and if he was really evil at heart, what lies or threats led him on this long march from home. If he would rather have stayed there in peace, war will make corpses of us all. Very true. I mean, it's, uh, it's very, it's very easy in, um, in war movies to obviously pick a side yeah. because, you know, you're following a, a character but, and this movie in particular, you know, not, not, not saving this movie. Um, obviously the Germans are the enemy. However, I think that this movie does a really good job of not giving the enemy too much of a face, yeah. you know? I mean, we do see the enemy a couple of times, but it is barely. Whereas in a lot of other movies, we see a lot of faces of the quote unquote enemy, but they're, you know, they have families too everyone no one wants to die right and i think there are more like um captain smith said there are more you know war hungry people than or soldiers than others but i think at, the way it boils down to is that everybody just wants to go home yeah you know um and so it's real easy to get in and you know this is me speaking i'm i'm not a soldier and uh fyi all of you soldiers out there thank you for your service there is no there are no words to thank you guys enough um and women but it's really easy to just say that you're on the right side and to you know go out and do what you have to do because you want to go home and it also becomes really easy to demonize the other side yeah. and vilify them. Yeah, like you just said, like everybody really just wants to go home at the end of the day. And I think that's one of the things that one of the thousands of things that bothers me about war is I can only imagine, you know, what soldiers have to do in order to accomplish their job to be able to be willing and able to take another life. Yeah. Uh, you probably do have to demonize people. You, you do have to, have to, uh, you know, make them into something that enables you to take their life. Yeah. And 
that yeah we have the luxury of sitting here absolutely and the thing that it does to your psyche as a soldier i cannot imagine um what it means to dehumanize another human being um and the long-term lasting effects that's one of the things that you know certainly bothers me that we're dehumanizing each other because the other people probably have hopes and dreams and passions and loves uh even the worst person uh in our recent history hitler right hitler loved his mom like everyone has something uh, that they care about and that's personal to them and it's really easy to to always demonize and vilify and i don't know i saw a pretty good bit recently that said uh, oh it was john oliver he was like there was one great thing about hitler he killed hitler (laughs) (laughs) hitler killed hitler if you hate nothing else about him or love nothing else about him he did that one thing right (laughs) (laughs) yeah like i don't know but i the other reason i really liked uh tolkien for this was he fought in world war one and i think he played a part in world war two as well uh i skimmed through his uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Wikipedia page, and it mm-hmm. said that he was pulled into being a codebreaker, maybe. I don't know. Um, I don't know the details around that. Uh, I will link that in the show notes, though, in case you're curious and want to dive in. I was, yeah, so that, that I guess, is what made me curious to look up quotes about him, you know, from him about war, just because he was he was there. He was on the ground and uh, dealing with whatever trench foot or sickness, God knows what kind of... Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff those war one surges came on and yeah i don't know i'm definitely rambling now but there's another cool thing that i'll link in the show notes that is deacons and i think mendez uh discussing the cinematography and the story behind uh all this and it's it's beautiful and okay yeah check that out awesome i don't have any other things to say i mean it's an incredible film um so blessed that we get to to watch it and have this perspective of it i would like an, the the next like kind of great war movie to to like be a perspective of both sides maybe a perspective of like you know one character on one side and another on another and eventually them like coming together and to, and whatever happens happens who knows but you know, there might, that might exist already, but yeah, I mean, there's a perspective. There is, um, there's this book I read called all the light we cannot see. And it does an amazing job oh, of, of telling the perspective of this little boy who's German and is raised up in Nazi Germany. And he's an orphan and he's just trying to survive and, uh, do things that he loves and you kind of see the progression of how he becomes a soldier um that's one of like three or four perspectives that they give you throughout the book the other one being this little french girl um who's in france and uh, she's losing her sight which you know gives the title it's it's bearing yeah and so it sounds amazing it's a really what's it it called all All, the light you cannot see all the light we cannot see i will actually switch that to my recommendation and okay i'll link that in the show notes i want to read that yeah it's it's really good yeah, I blame for this kind of thing. I, I blame more blame the people that send people to war. Yeah, absolutely. You know, than the people that actually fight. Completely. Because agree. you have no choice. If if you're a doctor, you kind of have to dehumanize some people sometimes because you can't deal with everyone dying. Yeah. Like you just can't. You can't. Yeah. Uh, and same with this kind of thing. Like if you're the one fighting on the front lines and you're the one doing the shooting, like you you can't look at them as people. How can you? Yeah. You know? Anyway, before we go down, because we could talk about it forever. (laughs) Thank you guys for joining us. I had a wonderful time. Uh, Join us next week. We'll be uh, doing Little Women. Well, covering Little Women. And uh, until then, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch the movies. Mm